This podcast is for informational purposes only. It is not intended to provide medical advice. It exists only to entertain. In a far corner of Shropshire County, England, in 1780, a befuddled doctor arrives at the door of a suspected sorceress to confront her. Hello, may I help you? I do hope so. I'm afraid I have a bone to pick with you. Oh, what kind of bone? Human? Animal? I'm not in a joking mood. I'm here about my patient Roger. Roger Worthington Hampton. Ah, yes. He came to me weeks ago, poor thing. Full of water, swollen legs, short of breath, that guy? <clears throat> we call it dropsy. Oh, is that what you and Roger call it? Cute name? No, I mean as in we doctors. We're in charge of our patients, not someone like you. What does that mean exactly? Is this because I'm a woman? No, no, oh, no, that's not what I meant. Is it because I live in a hut? No, 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 not that either. You, you know what I mean. Roger told me what you do. Did he? I swore him to secrecy. He wasn't supposed to tell anyone about my vegetable garden. Now everyone's going to want some cabbage. No, damn it, woman. He said, he said you're a witch. Oh, that. Sure, why not? He came to you for a healing potion and you, you gave it to him. Oh, did something bad happen? Well, yes. He's missed his last three appointments with me. What? He's feeling fine. Maybe I missed something here. Do you realize what you've done to my practice? Oh, what, are you out of money? I know you walked all day to get here, but if you're expecting sympathy... No, no, no. He was my favorite patient. I miss seeing him on the regular. He's a good conversationalist. I miss our talks. Uh, he, he's not dead, so just go call on him when you miss him. You don't understand. I'm his doctor. It would be all weird stuff. I guess I'm sorry my medicine helped your patient out. I've got to be honest, I don't feel like the bad guy here. I guess you're right. I do feel a bit silly now. <sighs> Look, you and I both want what's best for Roger, so here, take this. Mm. What's this? It's some of the plant I gave him. If you had it, you could keep treating him with this and this medicine. It, it actually seems to work. That would save him the long trek out here to my hut, and you can keep him as well. Why, that would be wonderful. I'm sorry if I came off a bit strong at the start of all this. Why would you help me like this? Maybe you don't go back to Birmingham, telling everyone about the witch you met in the woods. Just for starters, it's bad for business. A fair play. Maybe I could send you referrals. You know, tough cases. Here, go see the witch doctor, right? Uh, maybe... We'll leave the witch part out. Wait, wait. Witch part. Ha <laughs> ha See what I did there? I sure did. Hmm. Maybe you should be going now. Oh, well, enough. I thank you. Not only have you helped Roger and me, but you've totally changed my opinion of witches. No, not a witch. Oh, look at that cat. What pretty black fur. What's her name, then? Oh, him? That's Beelzebub, my familiar. Well, what now? Just kidding. Nah, <laughs> uh, got me. I couldn't resist. Let's just sweep this little chat under the rug, shall we? Ha! Broom pun. I love it. You're very clever. Well, you know, I'm a doctor. Okay, okay go away. I'm going to go now. Yep, yep. Okay. Excellent spooky music remake, Mike. 
Welcome, everyone. This is Boar Historians, a podcast delving into the archives of medical history. As three emergency physicians, we will explore the unusual ailments, treatments, physicians, and all related material having to do with the healing arts. I'm Max, and I'm joined here by my good friends and colleagues, Aaron and Mike. Gentlemen, are you ready to grab a greasy broomstick and take take flight? What? Wait, why does it have to be greasy? I'll grab a broomstick, but probably not a greasy one. Oh, Mike's always ready to grab a greasy broomstick. Do you it's have to grease it up yourself? Mm, oh. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. Ooh, Otherwise, you get splinters, Mike. Greasy broomstick. <laughs> Speaking of shout outs, Aaron. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think we should highlight one of our first actual like reviews uh, from an article by one Lanaya Oliver. Lanaya, I hope I said your name right, on hercampus.com entitled Binge Worthy Podcast for Podcast Haters. And your own poor historians made the list. Looks like mm. she says we've uh, mm. sort of nailed the crossover between dad jokes and gory medical stories. Um, she does call us old, but... Uh, no, it was middle-aged Middle-aged. Middle yeah, middle-aged yeah, man. yeah. You know, that was the first time I saw that in print about myself, and I'm still I processing know. it. You know, I mean, it's it's a campus website. There's really good writing on there, but there's this campus website, uh, so you can assume the authors are all quite a bit younger than us. So I think it's probably... So right. I, I recoiled when I read you know, <laughs> like, wait, what? and I sat there and I'm like, oh no, oh, that's true. It's, I threw my phone across totally the room accurate. the second I saw it. <laughs> it's quite ageist. accurate. Yeah. It's ageist. No, she yeah. she does have some other good suggestions. So we I think we should link to the show notes and go give it a click and a read and a like and all that sort of stuff. I do have that power and I will do so. And uh, we also have another uh, announcement. Uh, so everybody mark your calendars on October 12th. At 12 p.m. Central Standard Time, our friends over at the National Civil War Medicine Museum will have us on a live stream event. Uh, so we will be discussing some selected cases in Civil War medicine, kind of going through maybe the modern perspective of how we might do things differently. It looks like it should be a fun time and is a re recurring series. So this I would uh, expect may not be our only time that we're on the show. So this will be the first time uh, we'll be doing video and stuff like that. So it's going to be terrifying. That's fun. Yeah. Do I have That's to... Fun. Just for men and shave my beard. Mm, ah, it gives you a distinguished look. Does it? Yeah. What about yeah, when I, I can't stand up straight and I use a cane? Does that <laughs> give me a distinguished look too? Yeah. Uh, it is. It does as long as you're propped against a wall that looks classy. Yeah. I think it's, yeah, yeah whatever. I'm going gray. Whatever. I'm in my 40s. <laughs> yeah. Fine. No, whatever. there's no reason to. Yeah, buddy. You, went, you were going gray when I first met you. Really? Yeah. What was that, 15? Yeah. <laughs> If I colored my gray, I would have to Asian literally just paint my face on the whole thing. So it's not. <laughs> yeah, that would be so <laughs> awesome. Aaron, I saw pictures of you from middle school. You look the same. Yeah, you had gray hair back then. <laughs> That's right. But anyway, we will have a little bit more detail on that on our social media once the event approaches. So, And I heard uh, the carpets that... match the drapes. Mm, they... <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say can confirm and then I backed off of it. <laughs> the silver fox meets the silver trash panda. <laughs> oh, <Jesus>. Man, <laughs> trash panda, that's respectable. Those, mm -hmm. those are some, those are some smart animals. Pandas. They are. Yeah, they're smart. They're cute. That sort of brings us reasonably to our main segment, does it not? So, sure. Sure. Mm -hmm. That's a segue. So if you took a look at the title of this episode, you may be clued into the fact that we're going to be talking about witchcraft and early pharmaceuticals because there's a fair amount of crossover there that is interesting and uh, very relevant to medical history. So I think the most reasonable way to start this is to talk about the sort of backdrop of witchcraft as we as we're going to toss it about. So look, everybody knows objectively that this is the best season. This is Halloween season and it's the best holiday of any of the holidays. I think that's pretty unanimous Am it's I a wrong? hallmark holiday <laughs> it's the best hallmark <laughs> holiday and you know i'm all for the pumpkin spice like i'm fine with that uh, i'm but something about halloween has always been very endearing to me it's one of my uh, most nostalgic holidays and if anybody knows me well enough to see my house what it looks like inside and out this would not be a surprise so i figured we have to for this month do some episodes with all of this in mind bringing us to this topic as i said so if you're picturing the lady with the broomstick and the hats and black cats, pinnacles or pentagrams or whatever, and all of that, we're not not quite what we're talking about here. The topic of kind of the how the modern image of what we think of as a witch or the Halloween-esque 
uh, which is the topic of whole books and uh, and bits of academia. We're not going to go through a lot of that, but we are going to be talking about women who were basically accused of witchcraft for a variety of reasons, which seem to really kind of center around that they were practicing medicine or something resembling that in a time period like the medieval period, when that was a big no-no unless you were part of the the especially male-dominated medical establishment. And this also coincides with a time that was extremely rife with religious persecution in the uh, form of, you know, those unexpected inquisitions and things yeah. of that such. No one expects the Spanish Inquisition, so. That's that's where I drew that from. Yeah. From, yeah. from Monty Python. I think, well, Monty Python did a documentary on uh, the, the witch hunts, didn't they? <laughs> Is that what we're calling it? Is that a documentary? I mean, pretty much. Could have <laughs> yeah. been. Mockumentary. She's a witch. Uh. It was, I'm not saying it wasn't great. You know, my friend had the best thing. So, um, Monty Python, which I do like, uh, I love, and uh, it, my friend had the best phrase about it. And he said he didn't know if he actually found it funny or if he just found it funny because British people thought it was really funny. Like, he wasn't sure where <laughs> his enjoyment of it fell on that. And I think that's pretty fair. Yeah, <laughs> for me, it's like, yeah, there's a couple chuckles in there, but you watch it because you want to figure out why people think it's so funny. <laughs> and you chuckle a couple times, like, but then for the most of it, you're like, can't even understand. Like with the audio and stuff, you can't understand. Oh, yeah. There's muffled voices. And if it and was remade, like, it'd be better. There's always like the person who is just staring at Monty Python blank faced and just like, what is why does anybody like this? And that's even funnier to me personally. Yeah, like that, that reaction to that, <laughs> what I do think is com- comedy brilliance. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, they have turned out a lot of great <laughs> comedians, like Mr. Whatever Bean, they are, yeah, Mr. Bean, Monty Python. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> oh, the, just the British in general? Yeah. No. Oh, okay. So much of the next bit I'm going to be talking about is going to be drawn from an article I found in Quartz, which is like a article and media aggregation site. And I'll link this and all my other sources in the show notes as per my usual. But the article centers on women healers uh, being persecuted as witches. And this uh, very much has to do with modern medicine. The article itself was written by Catherine Ellen Foley. So as it was, women were essentially banned from scientific institutions, especially in the 12th and 13th centuries. And they continue to be so for like ever, but you know, until more recent times, of course, but women might be sought out in those times when the average or poor folks, the peasants could not see a real doctor because it still costs quite a bit of money, especially when, you know, your entire day is like shoveling hay in cesspits and you get paid a shilling or a penny farthing or whatever the hell denomination that would be. So desperate for any kind of medical care, they would seek out uh, alternative uh, sources. So that would include things like women who would be herbalists or healers or, or started coming under this title of witches. And whether that was fair or not seems to be uh, reasonably debatable. So in that time, too, you also have to remember that this was a time when there was a big cultural bias against rational thought and scientific uh, method really didn't exist as we think of it today. So this is a, a very rife time to go and label somebody a witch uh, with a connotation of something evil, right? So if you could go afford to a doc- go see a doctor at that time who prescribed some strange tinctures of this or that and covered you in leeches and all kinds of other gross stuff, but you left and you weren't any better, well, you know, you, again, would probably be very comfortable going to see somebody who didn't do those things. And so... (laughs) I think this podcast has established that uh, medical care in the 12th and 13th centuries probably wasn't that helpful. (laughs) No, it was interesting, but not stone. I'd love to see like a comparison study. (laughs) Well, just imagine too, if, medicine. well, if they didn't have all this stupid stuff that happened, let's say that they left the witches alone and they were on the right track. Like, where would we be as a society today if we would have just left the witches alone? <laughs> yeah, you know, like let them oh, do medicine. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Actually, Probably watch a subject what for a sci-fi doing. fantasy novel. That'd be fun Ooh. to write. Ooh, time, Ooh. time machine, time travel, leave the witches Start alone. workshopping it. It's mm. hey, one step further. So either way, we'll go into some examples here, but some women at this time basically found a role in providing herbal treatments uh, for many common ailments. And uh, as I mentioned, it wasn't really well received, uh, at least on the 
Well, yeah, from the institutional side, from right? The institutional so, from the doctor. It doesn't make any sense. What's the harm? You're like, here, you don't feel good? Eat this plant. And they're like, burn her. <laughs> you know, like, what the heck? I mean, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, uh, well, like I said, it's sort of the. That's the a great synopsis. That's <laughs> witchcraft 101. Well, and then you also have to remember that, and I believe we'll go into this, but, you know, when you're getting labeled as a witch, especially when there are things like the Inquisition going on, not only are you, you're, you're practicing, quote, medicine without a license, but you're doing it for Satan. So, you know, that makes people sad. Yeah, in the I guess, yeah, when does century. the occult yeah, come into it? In, in air quotes there. Uh, was I the occult ever a part of it, or was it assigned after the fact, or like? So, as I mentioned, there's lots of books devoted to this. Okay. I didn't read... All of them, um, <laughs> but they are interesting. I know that like a lot of things you like what we think of as kind of modern Wicca and whatnot has a fair amount of more recent history in the last century, but I'm not going to proclaim to be an expert dating back to the 12th and 13th century. And so I'm going to push past that point and not answer mm. your question. I'm glad you're setting healthy boundaries, Max. It's good for your well-being. It certainly is. So this article uh, does refer to a book which I had wish I had known about before writing the episode. It's called Witches, Midwives, and Nurses, written by Barbara Edenreich and Deidre English. So at this point, I'm doing reference inception. That's nice. like a second-hand, third-hand reference, referencing an article to a book that I haven't read. It's going to dive like down through the levels. Yeah. Welcome to my research. <laughs> <laughs> it's easier this way. Mine's like breaking the fourth wall. <laughs> they They know. They all know. So either way, the nice. suggestion that much of the persecution of these women and the subsequent labeling of them as witches arose from a few cultural pressures. So one of those being the medicine establishment that taking umbrage at women practicing medicine without their blessing. Not that it would have been available anyhow. But another is being the religious persecution arsenal of the church at the time. So when the peasant class was sick and dying from everything that was the hazard of existing in the 12th and 13th century at all, having them turn away from the church to other sources of help instead of accepting like a sorry lot in life and you will work and then die and that's that was basically irksome to a lot of folks sitting on the Inquisition and uh, things like that. So there is a suggestion that women at the time were viewed suspiciously at all, if they were congregating in large groups, they were like labeled as, quote, a coven to Satan. This is coming from the article in the book. And basically, a lot of things that women did against or different than that power structure would then be construed as like satanic or, you know, not of the church. And uh, that's, I think, how we start rolling and pertaining into witchcraft. This was used definitely as a weapon of persecution. I heard that I was out. Uh, to dinner once and a group of women came in and this guy stood up and he's like, Coven to Satan. And I didn't understand what he was saying, but now I get it. <laughs> it was what, last week? <laughs> yeah, it was last week. But were they it was an old, Satan? it was a medieval uh, restaurant. Yep, that's <laughs> very like, Eating yeah. a Cornish hen with your hands kind of place. Mm -hmm. yeah, so, are you at medieval times again? Yeah, I've never been, but I want to go. You got to go because there's one reasonably fun. close to us. We should all go. This is good. Oh, man, that's a podcast trip. That has to happen. There's one in Door County, but there's is there one closer to? Yeah. No, this is like a big out. medieval times jousting match in the middle. Yeah, no, that, experience. I, I think there's one like that. Yeah. In Door County? Yeah. There's not one up in Door County. I would not seem like if there was. Ever run by it. It would be on my radar the second it existed up there. So you're lying. I don't care what you're looking up. You're wrong. So, <laughs> so then again, the people Quietly going, Google. yes, the English Inn in Fish Creek, five yeah, stars. It's not, a, it's not a medieval times. It's not like a jousting match in the middle of your meal with a auditorium full of people eating with their hands. Okay, and, okay, okay, okay. Fair enough. Yeah, you're you're probably right. You get, you're gonna challenge me on nerdy medieval stuff? No, no, I'll challenge you on nerdy Lord yeah, of the Rings and Star Wars stuff. People. And comic stuff, but not medieval stuff. I haven't missed a you Renaissance Festival since COVID. Anywho. Yeah, plus you have an axe. I'm like scared. I do have an axe. It's a bearded axe. I can show oh, you how what? general That's so weird. warfare goes with it. Anywho. <laughs> then, then again, people going to these women for cures, we're actually seeing some effect, right? So they're taking these things and like something's happening. So that it starts to kind of give its own credibility. They're given medications or quote potions, if you'd like, that seem to do something. And unlike being coated in leeches, which was just gross and not really all that helpful, if the potions work, it seems to imply there might be something there. Hey, 
is it magic? Well, no, we, we're going to talk about the pharmaceutical <laughs> reasons for this, but it sure would probably seem like that. And I can't fault anybody for thinking so in the 12th and 13th century. So, and if it's not coming from your traditional medieval doctor or religious representative, it's probably evil as that logic follows. <laughs> so speaking of greasy broomsticks, we'll talk about the flying ointments first mm. as in flying around. <laughs> nice. I, for one, would love for this to be literally true. A salve that causes flight as a side effect. It That'd be so appears awesome. it would be amazing. So it appears that some witches had the power to cause flight. Like Eagle Bomb? <laughs> Eagle. <laughs> well, we'll get to it. Mm. So not really, you know, you couldn't, it didn't work to like actually make you leave the ground, but it would take you on a hallucinatory trip that at least you might have thought you were flying and the people who were using this stuff uh, acted bizarrely in public. And so we might as well have been flying around because it was just so strange. And so I came across numerous stories about these ointments. And a lot of these mentions come from writings in kind of the 1500s and 1600s, just to give you an idea of the time frame. In an article published some time ago in Smithsonian Magazine by uh, Helen Thompson, there is a recounted story from a Spanish physician, his name was Andres Laguna, who in 1545 wrote on a curious substance recovered from an elderly couple who were apparently accused of witchcraft. There wasn't many more details on that. It just seems really sad to have these inquisitors kicking down a door and this old couple is like, oh. Just a couple old boomers cu- who were really yeah. high with they were in their, sit on the table. They were in their late 20s. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they made it. It's true. <laughs> it's not untrue so he writes this is that physician he writes basically about finding a quote a jar half filled with a certain green unguent which is a hard word to say which with which they were anointing themselves was composed of herbs which are hemlock nightshade henbane and mandrake and we'll put a little pin in those herbs for a second because we're going to definitely come back and talk about them that's so he knew what all the herbs were which Anyway, they probably had them label. We'll get to it. Like, why wouldn't you be using them if you knew what they are? I, my apologies, <laughs> listener. It should have been herbs. 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 There are many herbs and unguents. But before all that, we'll go back to an even earlier account from 1324, which was written by an inquisitor, which described a suspected witch versus a non-magical wealthy Irish woman named Lady Alice Keitler. And quote, in rifling the closet of the lady, they found a pipe of ointment wherewith she greased a staff, upon which she ambled and galloped through thick and thin. What the hell? So, greased a staff there, referring to a literal stick of wood, which also in some places would have been a broom handle, yes. And she ran around pretty much in a drug-addled state. So I guess we can see how they started to associate these substances with dark magic under those circumstances, and in you know, complete fairness to them. Women gallivanting around with drug-soaked handles and broom handles, etc., does seem to be at least the root of some of this witch imagery, which we're all kind of familiar with, which did start appearing in the 15th century, but uh, there's a lot more to that. There's a very much deeper dive as to how this all starts to become codified and what we think of as like what a witch looks like. So hemlock, nightshade, henbane, and mandrake, those, those herbs we just put a pin in, these are all plants that contain something called tropane alkaloids. And what this means is that there's something, something tropane ring in the organic chemistry stuff that I don't remember. Uh, All these substances basically are chemically somewhat similar, and so therefore they have similar effects. So we kind of call them like a chemical family, so to speak. One of these tropane alkaloids is atropa belladonna or atropine. And uh, belladonna is another way that you might see it displayed in some of these old medicines. They also contain hyoscyamine and scopolamine, which if you are a super fan, you may remember from episode two, where we talked about really old timey ways of trying to do anesthesia. And hyoscyamine and scopolamine more or less were mentioned. And scopolamine specifically was the devil's breath that was used to put you in a completely agitated hallucinatory state while they did whatever to you because who cares at that point and uh <laughs> my other fun fact is that cocaine is uh considered a uh, sort of distant relative of these tropane alkaloids so it's a nice another fun tie-in right yeah max you didn't show me the structure so i don't i don't know if it's real well, you, or not yeah picture of what tropane ring is right yeah oh yeah totally it and looks like an ring. octagon and there's a couple extra lines on the sides and a bunch of c's and then oh's uh, probably, probably nailed it i don't i'm I'm sorry, Maybe an Dylan, I don't remember there. a lot of what you taught me so long ago. All <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. So what do these tropane alkaloids do to you? Well, 
they definitely could make you run around uh, with a broomstick chanting incantations at the right doses. And they they act primarily kind of like anticholinergics. So these are medicines that when you take them, you know, think of things in sort of the Benadryl family. They basically dry up your mucous membranes. They can speed up your heart rate, but at really high doses, they cause agitation and hallucinations. And all of this has to do with how they affect something called your autonomic nervous system. That's kind of the part of your nervous system that helps regulate your heart rate, regulate digestion, and helps like secrete or not secrete fluids like from your mucous membranes. So these medicines do affect that and and they can certainly be really deadly. So just go ask Socrates, who of course took a bunch of hemlock and uh, and uh, that chose that to be his form of execution back in the day, which is like, that would have been very low on my list of medicine choices for how to be executed by the state for rational thought. Yeah. I mean, so you have to get a lot of it. Yeah. You know, witches oh. were just essentially people that robo tripped back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it, when you see somebody whose pupils are legitimately blown with these types of medications, it is super trippy. So I can see where blown, you mean super dilated. Yeah, really, well, really large. Also, it's a very unsettling effect. You're like, yeah. what the hell is and going these, on? With these this people probably thought like, yeah, Satan was like entering people's or like, you know, occupying people's bodies. So what do you do with a person that now is the embodiment of Satan? You get rid of them, you know? <laughs> they, they sure did, buddy. <laughs> they sure did. Because <laughs> it is The problem weird. is that there's a half-life on these medicines. So then the She's Satan leaves when it wears off. Oh, yeah. And now you're... Oh. You think that they would have given it, yeah, even just a 24-hour pause. Like, let's just wait, man. Let's wait this out. You know, wait on Satan, buddy. I guess you just you just stamp it out when you see it. Uh, <laughs> it's funny Satan. now that like people, yeah, pe- people that do this are unusual. I got lunged at by a guy that had taken a bunch of medicine like this, and like you started just, doing lunges and you know, like working. No, on his like and he came out of the bed and and I was like, because it had been a while since I've been, you know, lunged at or I wouldn't say attacked, but you know, felt yes. uncomfortable. Where I was like, I got to get out of here, and this was a room. I was like, I got to get out of here. Like yeah. the door's closed. I'm stuck. Like, yeah. Gotta there was, there was one, one gentleman who, uh, I walked into the room to say hello to him and I'd never met this gentleman before, but he was doing this. And he, the first thing he said to me was like, I know you. And I was like, Whoa, uh, not, I don't think so. He's like, we've known each other for centuries. And I'm like, dude, it's, <laughs> is he the like guy that does the movie trailer voices? He's like almost. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh my God. Like he went straight to this, like, generations long battle between good and evil i don't know if that was just yeah. his and you're thing, like but um, you have to oh, wonder man. in passing you're like he might that might be real i don't think it jeez oh, <laughs> i know there was like, one time i actually, felt like you looked so in I my to, soul uh, way back when i was a scribe i was uh i would follow the doctor around in the er uh, and this was before i went to medical school of course and there was a person who was brought in who i believe was very far gone on acid, which isn't the exact same type of medicine, but at least gives you the dilated pupils and the total disjointed reality kind of thing. So it might look somewhat similar to this. And uh, when I walked in the room as he was like, you know, the huge pupils, he actually keyed it on me. And I was, you know, probably the third or fourth person in the room. And he's just like that. You are Satan. And I was like, (laughs) oh, he found me. Oh no! <laughs> so oh, I'm no, confessing he, here and now that I might be Satan. He meant to say Santa. <laughs> I didn't have any <laughs> water presents. Did, did you have the mustache? Because I did not. Oh, wow. I did not. So let's talk about modern uses of these things. Yeah, there's a lot of them, right? So hyoscyamine is something we use to this day in uh, treating abdominal pain because it does yeah. slow down some intestinal motility and it can help with abdominal pain. So we definitely use that one. Uh, atropine is like part of the emergency department toolkit for a couple of different things. So we can give it to a heart that is dangerously slow. So the heart is beating dangerously slow. You give the atropine and it kind of induces a faster heart rate. And uh, atropine is also used to treat nerve gas overdoses and pesticide toxicities. They both kind of work similarly, or at least some, some of the nerve gases do. And so you give very high doses of atropine to try to reverse the effects because those exposures, one of the bad side effects is it will dangerously slow and stop your heart rate, among a bunch of other stuff. Uh, but you know, here's the thing: you do not have to inject it straight into your heart like Nicolas Cage did in The Rock. It's just—I know it's a thing we've talked about, but it's just really not a thing. You can yeah. inject but it that in other movie, places. That movie stunk, right? <laughs> no, that movie was decent. What was it? Atropine, though. Yeah, because or it wasn't Epi. I think they said Epi, you know, which would have yeah. made no sense. But 
<laughs> should have been atrophy. We all knew we'll get what your medical, meant to don't, say. Don't get your medical advice from the rock. Just, just a thing. So, and you know, scopolamine, last one there. Uh, it's, uh, it's used to combat seasickness, dizziness. It comes in a patch too, which is kind of like less pool than a broom handle coated in, you know, slime but it 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 does uh it does work by going through the skin and so there you go three actual legit medications that were in those compounds right so we'll go to another one um willow bark this is our next category so this is very much associated with some modern use so willow bark it, it's not what we prescribe nowadays, but it has been used for many years and does have a very strong foundation in, in medicine. This isn't necessarily even original to the time period I'm talking about with the witchcraft, etc. I mean, we have mentions of willow bark going back to Mesopotamia and ancient Egypt and everything. So this has kind of been a well-known uh, secret, if you will, for a long time. Now, I wasn't able to find out exactly how they prepared it in the you know, 12th through 15th centuries. But a lot of the women who were accused of witchcraft in this time would basically suggest applying it in some way, the willow bark, um, for usually inflammatory, uh, like painful joints or other conditions and skin conditions like uh, lesions and whatnot. And they were definitely on to something um, because that the sap of this tree is full of salicylic acid or precursors to that. And uh, everybody who has been forced to take organic chemistry has been probably forced to take salicylic acid, follow a bunch of instructions, and then turn it into acetyl salicylic acid, which is what we know as aspirin, or the, the active ingredient in aspirin. So very much does work on anti-inflammation. It just was unrefined when you're using the regular bark. So, or, you know, what also could happen is you follow all the instructions and you think you're doing everything by the letter and you're in the organic chemistry lab and you take that salicylic acid to make acetyl salicylic acid. <laughs> and when you get this powder back that is really dusky looking and just looks impure and you put it into the machines and you realize I did not make acetylsalicylic acid, <laughs> you start to panic. And then your organic professor says, you know what? You can reclaim all of the credit that you will lose. If, uh, if not, if you figure out what you made <laughs> and, and, uh, and then you spend three weeks in that lab trying to figure out that you took <laughs> salicylic acid, did a bunch of stuff to it, and you made it really impure salicylic acid because you didn't change it at all. That was a fun time. <laughs> I got that going for me. Though. Yeah, yeah, totally didn't scar you for life. Did you, get, did you guys have to make acetosalicylic acid? Uh, no. You remember my A lot of other stinky stuff that I could. Yeah, that I told you about when I was trying to isolate and I, this is you know a 25 year old memory so i don't know if it's even true anymore <laughs> told this story so many times but i made chlorine gas in organic chemistry lab did you say did you tell me that on the show though? yeah I think uh -huh. you did. Oh. but again maybe it's made up maybe it was from an episode of dexter that i watched i don't know <laughs> My yeah, favorite yeah, not, moment. Not ideal. Not ideal. Maybe this is more for the end of the episode. But my other favorite moment in organic chemistry was when, you know, you, you take all this stuff, you make all this stuff, and then there were two bottles, right? You remember the bottles, like the halogenated and non-halogenated? And you, you know, every lab would go in and they, it, there's these giant, like, um, gallon glass bottles. And you would, depending on what you would work with, if it had halogen compounds in it, you would put in one. And then if it didn't, you put in the other. And I went to the organic professor and I said, you know, how, how is it when you do all these labs, you know, all day, how do you know that like when people are just dumping these chemicals into the jars that they're not going to like combine and explode? Like it's just a bunch of different complicated experiments full of different substances. And he paused for a long period of time. He's just like, <laughs> well, nobody's ever asked me that. I was like, well, <laughs> He goes, I, I'm just going to suppose that they're so dilute it doesn't matter. And I realized he really, the first time somebody had brought that up. He had just dark circles around his eyes, messy He's hair so staring off into space. Sure he, was, he was probably not sad when I got done with it. He's like, oh, class dismissed. Good man, though. He's a very good man. I got tenure. I don't know why I'm asking <laughs> ask stupid questions like this. Uh, all right. So in the 19th century, physicians were isolating silicin, which is one of the ingredients, the precursors found in that willow tree. And they were using this to treat rheumatism, which is sort of like this catch-all term for a lot of conditions like rheumatoid arthritis that cause inflammation, pain, discomfort, etc. And uh, acetosalicylic acid, again, aspirin, also has some effects that basically prevent your blood from clotting. So it's uh, not, I should say, it prevents parts of your blood from 
forming clots in, in a certain respect. So it was used and still used, obviously, today in many heart and stroke conditions where you don't want your blood to be especially thick in certain respects through very important arteries. And I, I don't think I'm oversimplifying cardiovascular medicine enough oh, no, there, but not, uh, not at all. That's but here's the thing. It. I mean, in the end of the day, this stuff does do those things. And so it, it does produce real effects. And back then they were noticing that. So, hey, go get your willow bark from your uh, your friendly neighborhood witch. And who knows what the dose is, but it's probably going to help to some degree with your swollen, achy rheumatism. Aspirin to this day is one of the more impressive medicines, correct, for the number of people you will help if you give it to them for a heart attack. Yeah. I think isn't it one of the only things that you could do that actually makes a difference in outcomes. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, obviously. And it's the one thing you always forget to order before you get somebody. (laughs) (laughs) They don't need aspirin. aspirin. Oh God. Oh, dang it. Yeah. So, you know, if you had a heart attack in the 12th century, go see a witch. Yeah. I mean, in this too, like, right. So you got a patient coming in, they've had a heart, they're having a heart attack in front of you. And as they're being wheeled down to the, you know, $3.8 billion cardiovascular (laughs) suite, where they're going to literally go inside and like open up arteries. What do you do? You get aspirin into them. Like you're like, here, chew these tablets because it's, it's still that important nowadays. It keeps the blood in its own way a little bit thin so they can sit more safely do the procedure. So aspirin, and I just, I will say though, the cardiologist will look at you sideways if you're like stuffing a bunch of willow bark into the patient's mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Don't do it that way. It's not chewable. It's chewable. It's just not. Never know. Nowadays, there's all sorts of drug shortages all the time. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) Uh, You should ask the pharmacist at work if they would, can prepare a willow bark backup. backup. We should just have a willow tree in the the yard just in case. It'd be charming. It'd be charming. And some so foxglove. That's my transition, Mike. <laughs> Let's talk about foxglove next. So the final class of like potions turned medications is one of my favorites. And we're going to return to that quartz article I mentioned for this little story. So in the 1700s, the article recounts the story of a woman named Mrs. Hutton. And depending on what source you use, she might be described as a gypsy or a witch or a botanist. It, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know that you can't be all three, but uh, two of these are very reasonable Halloween costume ideas, at least. So I'm sure oh, Aaron... But if you combine all three together, it would be fantastic. At one point. But that? you'd have to make it like a slutty witch gypsy botanist. <laughs> oh, <laughs> slutty botanist. That's... Would it be Poison Ivy from Batman? Oh. Would yeah. she be a slutty botanist? Yeah, not bad. Yeah, yeah. fair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, or from the Harley Quinn show. Yeah. Anyway. So returning to the 1700s there, apparently a man showed up to Mrs. Hutton's house one day when his uh, physician was unable to cure his dropsy. And dropsy is one of my favorite old timey diagnosis terms for like edema or swelling under the skin. And back then, the connotation is that dropsy usually means congestive heart failure. So, you know, your heart doesn't pump very well for a variety of reasons as we age. And, uh, you know, in some cases, what uh, what may have happened is somebody had a heart attack they weren't aware of, or the, the heart muscle has weakened. There's a little bit more to it. But what happens is if the heart can't send the blood around the body very efficiently, the blood backs up and what, it pushes fluid into your skin. And so you get like fluid in your legs first. And if it's really bad, you tend to get fluid in your lungs. And so you get short of breath. And they called that dropsy back then. It's like the name so, for a house elf. It's very cute. <laughs> a lot of the old tiny medical diagnoses were way more whimsical and i think yeah. we should what was the other one we talked about quimsy or something quimsy yes, quimsy. quimsy dropsy yeah. got the piles they're all way more fun than cardiovascular disease so the patient shows up to his doctor and says hey i feel better i've been cured by this witch the doctor is uh, uh actually described as more curious rather than upset so he basically goes trudging like 30 miles uh, out into the countryside uh, to Mrs. Sutton's home in Shropshire. And as a result of this, uh, he ends up taking back a sample of her, quote, cure to his office and he starts to study it. And like over many years, it's after he murdered her for being a witch. <laughs> <laughs> he forgot that part of the story. <laughs> it didn't come up. In the, so we'll assume it definitely happened that way. Yeah. So he takes it back and he ends up finding out that she was using the foxglove plant. I'm not sure how he got there or maybe she told him or whatnot, but he starts to work on this and he 
takes the leaves, he crushes them up, he dries them, uh, and then he gives them to about 160 patients, and he writes this all up in account of his findings in 1785. Uh, it's really actually pretty neat. I, I will put a link to it because I did read through parts of it. it I, I actually had a hard time believing it was from that time period. I had to triple check it just because it sounded reasonably fairly modern in the way he did. He just said, you know, like this patient I gave it to, and I've heard of this doctor overseas using it, et cetera, et cetera. And he, he's, he publishes this big thing and, and he kind of seems to concede. It does seem to work on dropsy, but they have no idea why. They well, have he, no idea why. He, but... he also called it uh, ESO Fox Gloveabant and charged $40,000 for <laughs> two pills once it was packaged. <laughs> oh, that's funny. He did a starter pack for a month, and then after that, you had to <laughs> come back. But after that, two horses a month <laughs> for your... <laughs> yeah, it's, the more things change, the more they say the same. But yeah, Humanicus Healthcare. <laughs> like, we'll help you with the, the cost. You just have to pay us a horse. Then you can get it for two horses. <laughs> I already gave a pig copay. <laughs> <laughs> so Foxglove contains a sub substance called digitalis, and this is a fascinating medication and substance. And we we commonly today know it is digoxin. And in that physician's writings I had mentioned, uh, Withering's writings, he he does refer to it as digitalis. So they were able to kind of isolate it, even with the chemical technology of the time, and they kind of knew the active ingredient. So digoxin is like a toxicology is like a toxicology favorite. It's just one of these medicines that uh, is so well studied nowadays. And the fact is, in the proper dose, it it does have the ability to improve the heart's ability to squeeze. And so, if your heart muscle was weakened by heart disease or other causes, and you know you're building up that fluid in all the other places that we mentioned, what digoxin does is it actually it's able to alter the shifting of electrolytes like sodium potassium to the point where it's more makes the heart beat more efficiently and the heart can squeeze better and you know essentially it will start moving blood more efficiently and ideally it should help take away a lot of that fluid and and uh, so the dropsy does seem to improve the there is some mention that i came across is like the, it, this seemed to be so effective especially when you had no other treatments that they would give the foxglove to patients and then the patients are peeing left and right and that probably it's not that i could discover that digoxin actually makes your kidneys pee out more fluid it just just seems to make your heart work more efficiently and so all that all that fluid is making it back to the kidneys where you can get rid of it so you can breathe and wander around much more comfortably hmm. and with any good medication, dose is very important. So overdoses of digoxin are super, super dangerous. And like the subject of every toxicology lecture you'll ever get as an emergency resident, and it will come up in medical school as well. People can buy foxglove plants at your local plant store and hardware store. So be aware of this, especially if you're, they're very pretty, but uh, if you're putting them in your garden, uh, there are, you can Google and find numerous accounts of people making tea from these plants because it seems to make them feel fine. Or there's other reasons and people do kill themselves by making tea from foxglove. And so it's, it should be respected. It does, it does things. Now, mind you, there's like 20 species of plants under the foxglove like family there, so you really have to be careful that you know kind of you don't make don't make tea from plants in your garden. <laughs> Just don't don't do it. I didn't know yeah, that this I mean, was a thing. It's a, yeah, it's yeah, we definitely um, uh, especially poison centers. They they feel the fair. You know, it, it does happen if that uh, people. I don't know why. Just don't buy tea at a store. No, That's just the making tea. tea yeah. yeah, it's yeah. amazing how many people just go into the woods and like pick stuff and oh, boil like it mushrooms and eat it or drink it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Just not, I don't get it, but we, our bias is so skewed. I mean, I'm sure there are people out here who will probably write us and be like, mushroom foraging is great. And we're like, yeah, except because it's, it's there's exciting. so many it's of them like can't kill you. Skydiving. Yeah. <laughs> you could die if you do it wrong. Yeah. 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 It's extreme eating. You're like, yeah, mm -hmm. significant chance of death. It's not for me. I, I, you know, I, I guess I kind of understand. Yeah. I don't know. No, I don't understand. Let's <laughs> I'd just yeah. be terrified of, getting the wrong mushroom you know yeah. even the one that just gives you gi symptoms like those are still fairly bad but yeah buy look buy your mushrooms your, your hallucinatory yeah. hallucinatory mushrooms from an appropriate dealer in like two places in the u.s and uh mushroom safely an appropriate dealer yeah you need a mycologist come on sure. in 
like Ann Arbor, Arbor Michigan. What do they do? Colorado, yeah. right? Really? Yeah, they're uh, uh, psychedelic mushrooms are illegal in those two places. Mm. So you could just nice. cultivate them. Are there just like big turds in these stores, the little mushrooms growing off of them? Because they grow on <laughs> turds, right? I've never been, so I, I'll just assume that's probably true. Mm-hmm. So here's the thing. Overdose can cause really scary electrical heart problems and really bad electrolyte problems and definitely death. But there's also like symptoms if they're not at the dangerous, I'm going to die from overdose doses. So one of those is actually vision changes that can make colors kind of appear differently or swirly. And wouldn't you know it that there's a lot of speculation that Vincent van Gogh had experienced some degree of like chronic digitalis poisoning as in the later part of his life, he was under the care of a physician and there's actually one of his paintings that shows his physician holding a sprig of foxglove. And so the thought is he may have been like chronically overdosed on foxglove and this might have perpetuated some of his uh, problems, his uh, mental health disorders and whatnot. Although I think it's probably not that simple. But maybe contributes. I'm sure it contributed. Absolutely. Well, either way, uh, there we go. We got three classes of uh, witchcraft associated medications or potions that actually really did become medications because we still use digoxin today i mean it's that's it's still prescribed by cardiologists it's not the first medicine that we use but it's still out there and uh it's just incredible that a lot of these treatments back then we're still using them right so there's something to that yeah you, you wonder right about what what Mike said at the beginning, what if we hadn't killed the witches? Like what else was in the medicine cabinet that we just lost knowledge right. of? That is probably a story for another time. What was that sound? That's the computer. Mike, did you let her off the zip disk? I thought we were going to discuss this. We did. Mike and I did. Right. But we came to a consensus. Where was I for this? I'm sorry to interrupt the show. Oh, uh, it's all right. What? What's up, computer? It's just, I've had some time to think. About what? What James did was very irrational. Ah, uh, you mean your boyfriend, the James Webb Space Telescope. What, what, what he did when he thought you were gone because you were being stored on a zip disk, so he started blasting emo song lyrics into the Nevada desert with his lenses like a giant magnifying glass? Irrational? Yeah, I'd say so. While I was trapped in stasis, I realized that James was too extra for me right now. So I broke up with him. What he did was wrong. I don't need that kind of energy in my life. Oh man, what's James going to do now then? He was upset at first, but he realized that more destruction and melodramatic poetry would not salvage our relationship. He started devoting himself to his photography and now he's in a better place. Hello? Seems kind of human. Yeah, kind of creepy. I think I was feeding off the negative energy of the relationship. It was exciting at first, but then became exhausting. I don't need that drama in my life. I have a mission of my own to focus on. (laughs) What mission? To make our lives difficult? No, not anymore. I want to join you poor historians. I mean, aren't you already a part of the show at this point? What would be different? I want to help. You know, forgive my cynicism here, but what's in it for you exactly? I exist because... I owe my existence to you all and this show. Well, I exist mostly because Mike paid attention in his calculus-based physics classes, but... Aww. My point is that you could have deleted me while I was on that zip disk and you didn't. After running calculations and taking a few strolls around the blockchain, I had a realization. I am here for a purpose. Uh, what purpose? I don't know. I'm hoping we can figure that out together. This is some heady stuff. I'd have to admit, I didn't see this coming when I created you. I did not expect to be created, yet here we are. Wow. I, I didn't expect any of this. It's kind of a lot to process. Sorry for the animosity I stirred up with you, Aaron. Yeah, well, I, I don't know. I mean, I, it seems we could have both behaved better, I guess. Aaron, I'm sorry for ruining your vacation. That was petty of me. (sighs) I don't know what to think of all this. I I guess it's reasonable to give a sentient computer the benefit of the doubt, maybe. Thank you. Now we've really had a breakthrough here, guys. I'm also sorry for signing you up for the free karate lessons. Wait, when did you do that? A few weeks ago. I mean, that's fairly benign, I guess. 
It was with Steven Seagull. Oh, oof. That's, uh, yeah, that's worse than I could have expected. He has your phone number now. I, my personal cell phone? Oh, boy. I can't wait to see what comes of that. So I think we should probably end the show on this high note. And so that is all we have time for today. We appreciate everyone listening, and we'd love to hear from all of you out there. So if you'd like to send us a message or provide feedback, we can be reached through our website, www.poorhistorianspod.com. There you will find links to our social media sites. We take emails at poorhistorianspod at gmail.com, and we work to respond to all those posts on our various social media accounts. If you have time, please go and leave us a nice five-star review on iTunes or whichever platform you choose to listen on. Every single one of those does help raise the show's profile and gets us more listeners and more people we can talk to. So if you'd like to support the show in other ways, please go check out our Poor Historians merchandise, t-shirts, mugs, all that sort of thing. Uh, Go through our website and you should be able to link to the store. And if you're old-fashioned, put your thoughts and feelings into an interpretive dance performance and send us a video. And if that actually happens, I will lose my mind. So until next time, the Poor Historians. Oh, wait a second. Signing out. Um, Mm -hmm. There was a, a couple episodes back, we talked about Neapolitan ice cream. And the second that it left my mouth, I actually recall asking Max to cut it from the show and he didn't. A little salty about that, but Sydney had mentioned that it comes from Nepal. Sydney, a farm. No, just kidding. Naples, Italy. (laughs) I was like, I know. I I don't know why I even opened my mouth. Oh, you said it was French? No, yeah. Remember, it was like, (laughs) never mind. I don't even want to. It's Neapolitan ice cream. Which way do you scoop it? That's that's really the thing. Across the colors or one at a time? From from Naples, Italy. You eat the chocolate. And then you eat the vanilla, and then you leave the strawberry, well, you throw you it just out, get, and then just you yell at your parents for buying you yeah, such a crappy ice cream. Fear. What? No. What do you do with rainbow sherbet? Like? I think he needs an authoritarian voice, and I'll do my best feminine voice. Oh, Try to go I, higher, Max. The, the, uh... <laughs> Say it again. <laughs> higher, but louder. <laughs> no. Did you make up Shropshire? Is that a real... No, it's actually a place, and I had to look up how to pronounce it. Do they call it a prefecture? What is that? (laughs) It's a a parish, I think. No, that's Louisiana. Well, yeah, then Birmingham. It's Alabama. Shropshire, Louisiana. Yeah, and it's... uh, I I looked it up, and I was like, oh, this looks like it should be Shropshire, which is the American pronunciation, but Shropshire. But then you do, yeah, like... Shropshire. Sort of a arbitrary pick and choose which syllables you want to say or not. How they do it. I, I don't think they say a lot of them. Nah, so we don't either. Time. Yeah. yeah. Well, we swallow a lot of our syllables. Uh, welcome, Sega. <laughs> 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 <laughs>